The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. Today, we have an incredibly special guest, someone I first met about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, was it, Paul, in London? Among being one of the most accomplished people I know I've ever met, he's got beautiful blue eyes, which I said to him. <laughs> um, I remember that a striking feature about you. So let me read your biography. I'm going to stop during it and ask you about some of this stuff because... You're so accomplished. And because this show is geared towards those of us who are salespeople and entrepreneurs and business people, when we see someone who just lives and breathes excellence, we know there's a story of struggle behind it and there's a story of setbacks and learning to have to focus. So let's get into this. Paul McKenna, Dr. Paul McKenna, I have to call you because you're a PhD is a hypnotist. You're not just a hypnotist. I would have to say you're one of the world's greatest and most practical down to the ground, theory free, international best-selling author and behavior scientist named by the times of London as one of the world's leading and most important gurus alongside Nelson Mandela. That's some heavy company, my friend, the Dalai Lama. He is one of the world's best-selling nonfiction authors selling over 12 million books in the past decade. Whoa. Over the past 30 years, he's helped millions of people to successfully quit smoking, lose weight, overcome insomnia, eliminate stress, and increase self-confidence. I want to back up here because I know, Paul, you're the author of multiple books. Can you just give us some of the titles of the books that you've written who've sold 12 million copies? Because I want to ask you about something related to being an author. I, I did a series of I Can Make You. So I Can Make You Thin, I Can Make You Rich, I Can Make You Sleep. And then I did, you know, which are dealing with sort of the remedial. And I did some aspirational ones, Change Your Life in Seven Days, uh, The Three Things That um, uh, Will Change Your Destiny Today, that sort of thing. So my books are either I Solve a Problem uh, or I Help You Have an Even More Amazing Life. Well, what I want to know is where in the heck did you find the discipline and focus to do all this work? Because writing a book takes some effort. And this is not a show for authors or by authors. It's a show for entrepreneurs and salespeople. But right away, a big, I'm sure you'll agree with me that any successful person has to know how to focus 
and have discipline. So I want to know what are your strategies for having such incredible focus and such outrageous discipline that you can bang out all these books and make them bestsellers? Well, um, I got a number. Firstly, um, when I, I wrote um, Change Your Life, which was the thing that sort of started it all, about, it's actually about 20 years ago, I, I'd read all the self-help books of the day, all sort of popular psychology books, and I thought everyone's sort of rehashing each other's stuff now. There isn't really something that excites me. And so it came from a place that I thought, I can do better than this. And I didn't know if it would be a success or not. And it was a huge success. Um, really shocking because I don't think of myself as a writer. I'm a talker. And so I usually work with someone who can edit my stuff and go, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Could you say it like that or, you know, move it like that. And so um, what I do is um, I, I think to myself, what's something I feel I want to write about that I'm passionate about? How is it I can help people? Because I've been in the trenches as a therapist for 35 years now. So I, I, I think, right, I know I've got an approach for weight loss that's better than anybody else's. Or I've got an approach for insomnia, for helping people sleep or getting confident that I th- I'm, I'm really um, proud of. So I want to share. So that's where I find uh, a lot of the, the motivation from. And then um, when you've agreed to do something, I don't know about you, but if I've said, right, I'll do it and I'll deliver it. I'm, uh, I know something inside me, I activates my work ethic. But one of the things I do is I, I imagine going off into the future and when the book is published and holding it. So I was, I was watching this interview about, must be about, uh, it was years ago with Paul McCartney, who's, he'd written a ballet, right? And they said to him, you know, how do you write about, you know, the score of ballet? And he went, well, he goes, I'm sitting there on opening night, curtain goes up. What do I see? What do I hear? You know, et cetera. I thought maybe I could do that too. So I, I go off into the future, down the timeline, jump in a year later or whenever it is, and I hold the book. And at first, I just get a very sort of abstract sense of it. I go, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a thick book or it's a thin book. Or, it, oh, the tone is very gentle. The tone is dynamic. Or it's, or it's got lots of examples. There's diagrams. And I start getting flashes of it. And then I come back. Now, interestingly, as I get closer to the completion date, it becomes much more clear, right? So I go and glimpse it in the future, bring it back. And then also um, when I'm writing like a, uh, a book to help people, I, I think I think of the person sitting opposite me or, or reading it, you know, and how is it going to impact them? So I'm, I'm doing it, I'm relating to the user experience. I mean, in fact, when I, when I wrote the first book, I, I actually um, went to the airport, you know, on, on the, uh, on, I was flying somewhere and I bought it like it was somebody I didn't know. I went, let's see what I make of this guy and looked at it in a dispassionate way so I could do a little <laughs> sort of internal focus group. Yeah. If, I, if I can put a, a pause on that for a second, because again, I as guests give me interesting answers, questions pop into my mind. I, I have a list of questions for you to watch. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally tearing them up because you're giving me gold here. Okay. All right. So one of the things you said earlier on, if we rewind about five minutes, you said you heard Sir Paul McCartney being interviewed and he gave out his strategy Mm. for imagining things in the future. So one of the talents I see that you have, I don't know if you're aware of it, is you can take something from a field that's unrelated to you and go, Mm. oh, I can apply it to to what I'm doing in my field. 
Now, that uh, are you aware that that's a skill of yours? And how did you develop that skill set? Because that's an amazing skill set to creatively look and go, hmm, here's someone over here in a field completely related to mine. I can learn from them. It seems to me, Paul, that a huge, I'm doubling up on the questions, a huge part of your success is you're an incredible learner. And for those of you watching this who are salespeople and, and business owners, entrepreneurs, you have to learn. So I want to know, was this something natural to you that you could look at someone from a different field and go, oh, how can I apply that? How did you come up with that strategy, that skill set? Well, you see, I think, uh, Paul, that um, everyone is, a, is essentially a natural learner. So, you know, one of the reasons why people learn to drive an automobile relatively easily is because they sit behind a driver for years, watching how they steer, how they change gear, all that sort of thing. And they go, oh, when it's my turn to do it, I copy them. You know, whereas if we learn the way that we, if we learn to drive an automobile the way we learn at school, like that's a nut, that's a bolt, that's a wheel, you know, after about a month, you'd know what a wheel is. And then eventually you'd know what maybe an engine is after about a year or something, you know, because so there's certain ways of learning that are really smart. And watching someone who's good at something and then, um, in a sense, copying it to some extent. And also, if you can talk to the person, you can begin to codify how they do it. Um, that's something I learned from, from being a, uh, an NLP or a neuro-linguistic neuro programmer like yourself. And yeah. we both learned from the best from Richard Bandler. So yeah, um, we had him on the show. I mean, he's the most phenomenal behavioral modeler. And as you know, in NLP, we're not we're not like analysts who who you know want to ask somebody, why do you think you do this problem? You know, and we we hear lots of reasons. Oh, because my mother took the spoon away when I was three years old or whatever. You know, you, you want to look at the structure of, of their thinking. You wanna you wanna hear them go, well, you know, I picture this and I say to myself that, etc. So you find out the sequence of pictures and sounds that they make and what they do with their physiology. So when I looked at, so, so yeah, constantly when I look at human beings, I'm, uh, I suppose, you know, just automatically noticing their strategy. So as a therapist, when someone sits there and they tell me, this is how I frighten myself, or this is how I depress myself, or this is how I compel myself to do this particular behavior. I want to model it, first of all, to find out how they do it so I can then go and spoil it and put in a functional mindset, you know, do a bit of interior decorating inside their That's mind. very disruptive. I love what you said, that you like to go and, and spoil it. I call it interruptive assistance. But yeah, you want to interrupt what it is that, that, they're, that they're doing. But getting, one of the things I think that gets in the way of people's focus and gets in the way of people's discipline, and certainly for salespeople and entrepreneurs, are all their old stories that I can't do it, or, you know, why do I keep always screwing up? And, and they dwell on mistakes. Were you always this positive and this ability to go, eh, I'm just going to draw the lesson? Or was this something that you, you had a model, someone came along in your life and showed you how to do it? Because it seems to me, and maybe my guess is wrong, that you've always had a, and I hate the word positive because it implies, la, 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 life is good, ignore life suffering. Uh, have you always been, let's come up with a, a different word. How do we come up with a word that implies you have a positive orientation? You look for success and you aim at success, but you still, one of the things I heard you say, Paul, yeah. and I'm rambling a bit here, but you've got so much to offer and we only have a, so limited amount of time. You said that you prepare 
for problems. So you can handle them when they come up. So yeah. when you talk about positive thinking, it's not just blindly going, I know I could get somewhere. Yeah. Can you talk about that? First of all, how did you get your orientation to be positive? And second, speak to that strategy of looking at what could go wrong. Right. So like you, I'm not a fan of positive thinking, telling yourself that everything's going to be okay, even when you think it might not be. Um, because I, I think um, uh, I, I, you're right. I've always been a very driven person um, because I, I knew what I wanted and or I knew what I wanted at a particular time in my life. And so I moved towards success rather than from away away from failure, um, uh, you know, just in the sort of you know way I, I view the world. So um, I think of myself as a fairly resilient person. And, um, and when we talk about heading things off at the pass, um, that's a very good idea is to, to think about all those things that could go wrong so that you can prepare for them. But a lot of people only do that. And if that's all you do, given we always get more of what we focus on, you've got to be really careful because that's what you could end up with. Um, and so as well as thinking about what could go wrong, I think about all things that could go right as well. And also within me is an ability to bounce back if something happens. Because when we talk about resilience, a lot of people think that means toughing it out or you know, bouncing back. And it does, but it also means adaptability. So from cybernetics, we get, um, uh, it's a relatively new science, we get the law of requisite variety, which is- Requisite variety. Yeah, the, the, so the part of a system that's got the most flexibility ends up in control of the system. So be it a family, a corporation, a political party. So those people that can adapt themselves to an ever-changing uh, ever environment are the ones that will ultimately end up in control, in control of their destiny or indeed uh, wherever they are at that time. So I'm a big fan of adaptation as well. Now, the question is, that's, that's well and good, and I agree with you. But how? How does someone who goes out there and mm. makes mistake after mistake after mistake, yeah. how do they, let me put it to you this way. One of the things I've seen missing, and it's not missing from your work, which makes you extraordinary. Uh, people say, why do you butter up your guests? I say, I don't need to butter them up. I'm just acknowledging that my guests are awesome. And the reason my guests are awesome is I'm awesome. So, <laughs> well, see, I have no problem with humility, or maybe I do. I don't know. Um, you've known me a long time, so you know that's one of my strengths and one of my challenges. Paul, how do, does adaptability relate to the ability to learn from your lessons? Because everyone always says, just learn from every experience. But no one, they used to drive me crazy. I would go to these self-improvement seminars. I won't mention names. And uh, learn from every experience, learn from every experience, and let that put you in a peak state, blah, blah, blah. But no one gives you a strategy. I know that you've made mistakes. Mm. I know that you've had experiences that have been mm. less than thrilling for you because no one reaches your level of success without, success without it. So what is, and, and this is really important for salespeople, entrepreneurs, business owners, they need to learn from their errors, but they have no strategy. What is your strategy? So there's a couple of things. Right. Okay. Things. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I do. I mean, firstly, I'm a big believer in if you get knocked down seven times, get get up eight, right? And when I've talked to other people who succeeded in their genre, be it in say business 
or I don't know, maybe they're a performer, they're a comedian, and they've every comedian has been, you know, has died on their ass at some point. And they go, well, what, what is it that you know that made you do that? And they'll always go, I thought I'm gonna show them. You know, I mean, so, but I mean, I remember years ago having this conversation with Tony Robbins and was saying, why is it some people get crushed by a failure and other people go, right. And it may be that there is something in somebody's nature. Maybe they've grown up around uh, people that are like that. One of their parents is a, I'm going to do it kind of person. Or maybe they just, um, they got, in my case, you know, things like when I was at school, I was told, uh, one of my school reports said I would never amount to anything. And so instead of being crushed by that, I went, I'm going to fucking show you, you know. So um, this is my revenge or this. So, so um <clears throat> I, I think that, when I, again, when I've asked people to unpack it, how is it that you are able to, to you know, to uh, get yourself motivated to when, when you've had all sorts of things go wrong? Uh, it's very simple. They are able to put it in context. I mean, I can show you a simple thing right now. This is what I do with people who have, if I go, think of a problem, right? Um, and I use a bunch of questions from decision theory, you know, so, but I'm going to show you this very simple technique that I use with people. I go, make a nine square grid, right? So you've got three at the top, three in the middle, three at the bottom, and leave the bottom middle one empty for now. But in the other eight squares, put things in your life that make you feel good, like people you love, people who love you, um, times you succeeded in the past, um, things that make you feel good about yourself, maybe your friends, maybe you know compliments you've been paid. Fill those other eight squares, make them big and bright and bold, and then stick the challenge right in the middle there. So you see it suddenly in context. Well, I came up with this when I was, I was just talking to people who, you know, had overcome adversity. These are successful people. I have a podcast where I, I interview people, household names who, you know, and I, I want to interview them as a psychologist, not as a journalist. One of the questions is about adversity and overcoming it. And they all say the same thing. Well, yeah, I put it in context. They don't, mind, they don't use those words technically, but that's essentially right. what they're saying. So that's one of the things that I think has enabled me to keep going, you know, is, um, is also having a goal, having a, having a purpose. Victor Frankl, the legendary psychiatrist, survived Auschwitz, wrote Man's Search for Man's Me. Man's Search for Me. Meaning. Yes. Yeah. He uh, he says purpose is the cornerstone of good mental health, and purpose can be. You know, a lot of people think their jobs their purpose. I I think that can be part of it, but purpose for me can also be being a good husband or wife. It can be being um, a good parent. It can be. Um, I'm just going to be creative as I can today. Or you can have a big life purpose, you know, where you go, I'm going to make some amazing change in the world. Or I'm going to you know, improve the lives of those people I love around me or whatever it is. So for me, those are the kind of core ingredients um, for bouncing back, for staying motivated, whatever's going on. I want to talk. This is something that's very interesting because I know you're friends with uh, Genpo Roshi. Yeah. Who is a Zen Buddhist monk. And I've had my own encounter with my teacher, who I got to get on the show, Shinzen Young, who to me is the most brilliant human being that I've ever met, the greatest teacher I've ever met. No disrespect to Richard, who's right up there. He's a giant as well. And one of the things that meditation made available to me is it's teaching me to deal with the suffering of life with a capital S. Because I, my own observation is things like NLP and hypnosis help us deal with the sufferings of life with the small S, not that it doesn't feel like a big S, but the huge sufferings of life, age, sickness, uh, the loss of loved ones, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So have you found that your work 
in doing hypnosis and NLP and other stuff can help people with the large sufferings of life, the, the big S that your Genpo Roshi deals with, or are there limitations in, in that sense, what you can do with it? Do you understand? Well, you, you get what I'm getting at here. I totally do. Yeah, I mean, I the last 10 years, I've been at the sharp end uh, in terms of therapy. It's um, It's been working with people with PTSD, depression, um, suicidal uh, tendencies, um, yeah, rape victims, war veterans, bereavement cases, all your most hardcore. And um, and I use a number of different techniques as I'm a hypnotist. Obviously, I use hypnosis. I use NLP. I use a psychosensory therapy, this new one, Havening, as in a safe haven, which works remarkably well. You touch the side of your arms here. Yeah. It's here, yeah. here, yeah. here, and here. Yeah, um, it's a fantastic technique. But um, I became interested in Zen Buddhism when I was 18. I read um, a load of Alan Watts, and I thought, this is it. It suddenly made sense to me. I'm, you know, I'd grown up as a Catholic. I'm a recovering Catholic, right? So I, <laughs> I'm a recovering, uh, I'm a recovering son of a Jewish guilt mom. <laughs> exactly. My mother and she, may she rest in peace. She left me in the world in 2007. She, but I understand the Catholic guilt and, and all that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, there, there are loads of great jokes about it, and it's wonderful. We can laugh about it. So, <laughs> so I, I, when I read, um, so for, you know, for a while, um, I, because uh, of my Catholic education, I thought I, maybe I'm an atheist because I don't believe God would like these guys in the black dresses to represent Him on Earth, you know, or her on Earth in these times of inclusiveness. So um, I read, I read some Alan Watts. I went this makes sense to me you know life involves suffering all suffering passes suffering comes from attachment etc wow this is mind-blowingly good and so i you know i practice zazen meditation and things like that and i met genpo roshi who is a remarkable uh, guy not only because of his contribution to the field of buddhism but as a person i mean he ain't like the other Zen masters. I mean, this guy, you know, he he's like, he dresses like a Zen monk and then he puts his leather jacket on and gets on his Harley Davidson. And, you know, he's cool. He's cool. But what he's done is he's developed this meditation called Big Mind. And it's an extraordinary process. Takes a few minutes and it drop kicks, kicks you into Samadhi Satori. Now you can imagine... Um, that's By the way, some people don't know what Samadhi Satori is. So, oh, so it's, it's, can, here's the joke. If you could enlighten us as to what those things mean. <laughs> okay, so you, you get a glimpse of enlightenment. You shake hands with God, if you like. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Now, uh, there was some scientific research done on this about 10 years ago at Utah University. And they got one of these, you know, amazing $3 million machines. It's a brain image resonancing chamber, a hat like Darth Vader's helmet comes onto your head. You can't take any metal in with you. You know, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a, um, a chamber and uh, Genpo. So what they do is they take some like seasoned, you know, Dalai Lama, 20 year monk sits in the chamber maps, you know, he's the pattern of his brain waves. And then they take somebody off the street who's never meditated before and they sit them there and Genpo sits with them and he does the big mind process and boom, they go into the same brain state. So you can imagine half the Zen world are going, this is fantastic. This guy, he's made a breakthrough. The other half are pissed off because they will shake their heads. They're sitting in Lotus for 20 years. And this guy's teaching it to plumbers and accountants and students, you know. So they kind of, uh, which is, you know, I think fantastic. But these people don't because they're owning their Zenness like a bad 
Hajj, which is very unzen. So um, I'm a big fan of his work. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to laugh that one out. <laughs> that is very unzen. But it, it's just very unzen. It is, and I, I'm a fan of his work because, um, you know, I, I mean, he's quite. A, he's a. He's his formal. He's a, a. He's a Zen priest, right? But he's more like a therapist than a priest. And when we've done events together in the past, you know, he'll take somebody really heavy, you know, issue. And bam, he can he can make a, a significant change with them very quickly. So um, you know, I think he's another one of the these uh, uh, masters playing at the highest level. So you know, I have a big and so as a as an NLPer, I wanted to model what it is he's doing. Now, some of it is modelable, and some of it I think isn't because you got to sit and actually put the work in and do the meditation but in terms of getting people into that samadhi satori state relatively quickly i found my i've created my own version of his thing which um i i teach to people and it takes just a few minutes to do cool and do not give it away i want people to get in touch with you you <laughs> you know there's only so much that that i expect my guests to give away but i want to circle back to this question you you've given me great answers on resilience and purpose but I want to get back to this question because one of the, uh, and I'm only going to do it. I, I got to be very careful. I've gotten some feedback from my listeners and audiences. Don't talk about yourself. But one of the things I think that's unique and what I do when I teach is learning from mistakes. You've made mistakes. We've heard your strategy for being resilient. We've heard your strategy for saying, I hate the word, I get it. But what is your strategy for learning? How do you look at this situation and extract out what worked and then look what didn't. Do you have, I don't want to get into being an NLP guy with you and say, okay, when you go back, if I were to play you in a movie, I don't want to do that because Ooh. you're self-aware enough that you, you don't need to do that. And again, entrepreneurs listen to this salespeople. I know that to stay motivated, you have to learn from mistakes. So Paul, do you have a strategy from learning for learning from mistakes? Sure. So the very first thing I would say is if the same mistake keeps happening over and over again, you, you know, you end up dating the same kind of person that finishes in the same way, or, you know, you're say you're selling to people and you get the same kind of objections, etc. cetera. Uh, the smart thing to do would be to first of all, go where, who's the, where's, where, where are the common denominators, right? So if it's relationships, exactly. It's going to be you. It's going to be something in your communication, your behavior, et cetera, that's doing it. Um, when it comes to sales and things like that, if you're getting the same, you know, the same resistance, rejection, et cetera, you know, obviously look at the messaging. What I tend to do in these situations is um, I tend to step out and look at myself through the eyes of the other person if I'm trying to influence somebody. And, and I, get a, I, I look at myself and I go, there you go. So, you know, the, the, the famous example of this was Gandhi when he, you know, arguably helped to bring about the end of the British Empire. He um, he would imagine the British negotiator in front of him and he'd step out of himself and step into their perspective. And then he realized, oh, these guys think they're doing good by us. They don't understand, et cetera. Ah. And then he would step into a third position and look at the two of them. And then from that point of view, he could make, um, um, he'd get all these insights. So I tend to do that. If I'm, if I'm getting, I, I mean, it's a common thing for people to ask if there's any sort of problem or issue, what's my part in this? Or how did I get to this? You know, and interrogate it. If I'm trying to influence someone and I get the same objection again and again, I'll go, 
right, why am I getting this? What's the problem? Oh, I see. So I either need to inoculate against this or I need to change the way I'm, I'm messaging it. Or maybe this is just the wrong thing for me. It could be that sometimes. So I, I look at it from multiple perspectives. You know, sometimes I just go and ask somebody else. I go, you know, do, do when I do this, this and this, what is it? What puts you off? Or what is the thing that causes this or whatever? So sometimes you just, it's really simple. Just ask the other person. But ultimately, I, I like the idea of looking at things from many perspectives as a way of, of getting a learning. You know, and also when I look back on some of the bad things that have happened in my life, as we all have, you know, we've all had times when we were betrayed or, you know, we were let down or we, you know, something didn't work out the way we wanted it to or, or something was really catastrophic. Um, I, I think at the time we can't necessarily learn from it. And we can in the course of time, because if I look back on some of those challenges, I wouldn't have signed up for them, but there was a gift in them. And again, being a fairly optimistic person, I go, well, you know, what's the gift? And at the time you go, nothing, this thing, I hate it, you know, and, uh, and, but if you search long enough, you'll find that there's usually something in all the, the, the truly upsetting things that have happened to you in life or the, the really challenging ones as well. It's a beautiful orientation, and it speaks. It speaks to how can I put this? The clarity and the realism of your work, because you're not one of these people who's denying suffering. You're not one of these people who's denying that that people get deeply stuck. That people carry deep pain, mm. deep pain. One of my teachers, uh, a mentor who you would be interested in talking to, you would have a fascinating discussion. His name is Chase Hughes. Chase says that everyone is, the, at least in some aspects, the product of their childhood suffering. Everyone yeah, yeah. wears a mask and everyone denies either to themselves or others that they're wearing that mask. Mm. And so I think that's a, a really great teacher such as yourself recognizes the reality that there is there are going to be not just setbacks, but suffering. And, and there are ways to, and again, this goes back to one of your skills, which is to look at someone, find a model who's really good at something and to apply it. You, you said hmm. you looked at Gandhi, hmm. right? And you yep. looked at Gandhi and you said, and you did some research and you found out how Gandhi was able to do what he did. So this voracious ability to look and to learn from other people Where'd you get that from? Or has that always been part of your nature? You by the way, I love Chase. Model for it? I love Chase. Or has that well, always been part of who you are? Uh, oh, you know Chase. I, well, I know. I'm aware of his work. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, Have you uh, met him? Because no, 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 I've never met him. No, I've, I've just seen him speak. He's, he's incredibly uh, uh, eloquent. Uh, eloquent I, can I can arrange a conversation with him if you'd like. Oh, I, I'd love to meet him at some some point. Um, no, I think I think he's truly brilliant. Um, I, do you know, I think... Um, Paul, that the, the thing is that some people undoubtedly, or it seems as though it's innate for them, but I always suspect then that they, in those early formative years, you know, first seven years, Aristotle said, give me the boy before he's seven and I'll show you the man, right? And so, you know, those things that happen to us, in terms of the, the way that I look at it is it's like a training video. You sit and watch the way, you know, your, your parents interact. You go, ah, that's how relationships work. And you look at the way that, you know, that, that, that sort of the way they do, uh, they look at the world and you tend to form a similar sort of reality tunnel, if you like. And, um, and also unconsciously pick up some of their sort of 
strengths and weaknesses, etc. And, and so I think some of it comes through. I mean, one of the themes that comes through in the podcast that I do is great parents. You can't be just like just like you can't. Sorry, my computer. Just like you can't beat a great set of genes. You know, it's fantastic. But I'm I'm very fortunate. You know, my parents gave me way more than I realized at the time. I mean, you know, they they're remarkable people. They're very kind and they're very positive and that sort of thing. And I think I got some of that from them. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the palm readers say that's what you're born with. That's what you do with it. So I don't think it's like it's all fixed. I think that all of us have a potential, and you know, some of us are good talkers. Some of us are logical thinkers you know like my friends are really technically minded you know i'm not technical they can go like one of them you know the other day he's guys a tech genius right he's amazing and he said to me when you know you, you go and talk to people don't you in like social situations people you don't know i went yeah and you just chat and it's like yeah i said sure he goes that's a skill isn't it i went i never really thought about it like that i said you know when you look at a computer and you go bah, 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 that and i went he went yeah i went that's a skill. I know how you do that, you know, and I think all of us have something. In my way and my other career, I can help him. <laughs> well, you've been a wonderful guest. You're a brilliant man with a heart of gold. And I really, really enjoyed this. And let's take a minute or two off the air to talk because I, I would love to do okay. that. Paul, you have so much to offer. Normally I say to guests, what's, what do you have to offer? They name one thing. If people want, if you have a free gift, if people, how in the hell do people continue to draw from this brilliance? And and one other thing, your joy. You have a joy of life that that shines through. And I know when someone's bullshitting and when it's genuine. Uh, and you're 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 what we call in Yiddish. I don't know if you have Jewish friends or not. I have many of them. More of okay. my friends Jewish probably than any other religion. <laughs> okay. Well, then mensch. You know what the word mensch means? Mensch. Yes, of course. You're a mensch. And for those of you who are not Jewish, look at the fuck up. Don't be lazy. You're a <laughs> real mensch. I, I really appreciate that, Ross. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's great. So um, please tell people uh, if they want to get more of your brilliance, what, where did they start? Because you have so much. Well, they could go to paulmckenna.com. And so, you know, the thing that I, I'm, um, uh, yeah, I, my job these days is to either create something like a book or an app or, or, a, on, or a course, you know, online courses are now the future. Um, and uh, as well as, you know, I really like being in an auditorium and I, I still do. I, I mean, I, I, I actually really love that. You know, for years it was all about television um, and then it was about books. It t- tends to be more now it's training. So either in person or online, you can find out. If you go to paulmckenna.com, you'll find out all about me. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm sure you'll find loads of stuff on the Internet. When the, when the um, pandemic happened um, a couple of years, two and a half years ago, uh, I took a load of my trances and I put them all on my YouTube channel. And I said, just, just everybody use them. You know, we're in a time right now where people need to be able to sleep. They need to reduce their anxiety. They need to feel good. So um, you can usually try out some of my stuff for free. And then if you like it and you want to have it, you can buy it. But um, I mean, I, life's been good to me and I want to give something back. So, you know, you I don't mind. So much back. You give so much back. If that's your mission, you have succeeded in it. I hope you continue to succeed in it. Thank you for being such a wonderful guest and a man. Thank you. A great human. And let's talk a little bit off the air. air. Thank you, Paul McKenna, so much for my work.
The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack in sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on the Influencer's Edge Show. Mm-hmm.